Hello and welcome to our webinar on valuing our relationships. I'm Kiri Stako, the Client Services Director of Parents at Work and I'll be hosting you today. Uh, these special events are they're a community event and we've, they're free for everyone to participate in. At Parents at Work our aim is to, it's to get important information you know, for working parents out into the community in a convenient way to help both parents and employers. And we encourage you to share these events with people in your community if you enjoy today. Uh, using the webinar, just a little bit of housekeeping, using webinar functionality, I mean we'd love you to contribute to the discussion today by asking questions. You can do that by using the webinar facility to type in a question which I will be monitoring as we go through the next hour. Um, we, we will obviously, Jean will be covering off particular topics and you may have questions as we go along. We do have a large number of people joining today. This has been a really popular topic. Uh, so apologies in advance if I don't get to your question today, but of course we can always follow up with you afterwards and, and we'll show you how to do that at the end. Uh, we are recording today's event so that we can share it with yourself and others afterwards. Um, and, and we do need to keep the audience on mute function because otherwise there's a lot of noise in the background. So your ability to contribute is through the typing a question function. So let's get started. I mean, look, the journey into parenting, it's a time of great change and adjustment for all families. Children, parents and couples can feel they're on a roller coaster ride of emotions. It's often uncharted territory, particularly for the first child. And every family navigates this journey differently. And for some, it can be particularly taxing or challenging for our relationships. Relationship means different things to different people. We are acknowledging it's not just about, you know, a, you know, a mother and a father. You know, it could be your, with your partner, of course, but also your children or your friends or, or even the milkman, as Jean put it to me last week, which made me chuckle. Uh, today's session will be covering principles for valuing relationships that apply to all relationships, no matter who it is with. And to talk to us about this, I'm joined by Jean Gamble, who has kindly agreed to share her expert knowledge. Jean is a psychotherapist and a relationship family counsellor with a busy practice in Sydney. She's been married for 40 years and has two adult daughters. Jean grew up in Africa. She's lived in five countries and she's worked in human resources in large corporates. Um, Jean is frequently interviewed on radio about her work as a relationship therapist and we're thrilled to have her share her thoughts with, with us all today. Welcome Jean. Thank you Kerry and thank you to Parents at Work for giving me this opportunity to, to talk to everybody on your webinar. Wonderful. So let's get started. Um, we, we do have some, some slides that, we will, that will indicate the topics that Jean will be covering. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you've joined this call with, you know, for a reason, with something in mind. So do have a think about anything that you would like to ask Jean today and do type that into the question box. And as we go through the session, I'll be monitoring those questions and we'll address as many of them as we can. To kick us off, Jean, I'm going to ask you a, just an introductory question. Um, you know, obviously you see a lot of people, a lot of couples, a lot of families, individuals. I mean, is there, if you could pick out one common theme that you've seen with your clients over the years, um, this is a tough question, but is there anything that you hear consistently in your work as a relationship therapist? Um, 
is two things, but the thing that mainly jumps out at me in response to your question is how often people um, admit that they that they could be living um, that they hold this sort of a bit secretly in the back of their heart, and it's not something one trots out at cocktail parties, but it, it is that, that secretly you could be living a life that's more satisfying, richer, deeper, more meaningful with, with, um, with richer relationships. And when I ask people that question, is it possible that you could be living a more satisfying, more connected, more meaningful uh, life and relationships, invariably the answer is yes. And that, that always leads us into the kickoff of, well, if we all feel that way, why are we not living that? What is it that stops us from living where people would say to you, ah, could you be living a more fulfilling life? And you say, no, I'm at my max. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If <laughs> It's what we aim for, isn't it? And I suppose the people that have taken the time to join this webinar today, I'm sure that they feel feel that that there's there's something they could be doing to lead a more fulfilling life, and that's what they're working towards. And and I understand that makes sense. That that's a common thing for sure. So let's move into what you wanted to cover today, Jane. If if you'd like to introduce um, the slides and the overview of of the general topics that you that you intend on sharing, that would be great. I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Kerry. So. Um, it's an hour that we've got, um, and there's an awful lot to relationships. There's loads of books being written, and loads of courses being run, and loads of therapists being trained. So I had to limit what we were going to talk about, so that it's quite um, it's covering a lot in a short time. And um, the overview that I want to give you is firstly to commit to change. So that whatever the relationship is, even with the milkman, you want to make a, you both agree that you want a better relationship. Um, and then the second thing would be to focus on stopping the momentum of our lives, of the relationships we are in, because sometimes we don't even know we're in a momentum. We're just sort of on the mouse wheel and trying to get through. Particularly, I would think a lot of the audience here today are working and they've got children and relationships and life is busy, we all know that. We live in a very busy city with a high vibration frequency and we're sometimes not even aware. So that's the other thing I wanted to address was stopping the momentum. And then connecting with our bodies enough to know what we need in our relationships and not sort of second guessing what we think we're supposed to need because of what's out there but actually deeply becoming aware of our own needs and then learning to express our feelings around those needs. When we, when we can do this, uh, we can, we're cooking with gas. And part of that learning to express, when we get to that slide, uh, it's not about I want to talk to you, it's about I want to listen to you. So it's a two-way thing expression. It involves you saying how it is for you and then you being prepared to listen how it is for the other person. So communication is essential. And then lastly we'll look at prioritizing time. You know people say oh, I don't have good relationships with my friends and then you ask how many how much time they have for their friends and there is no time. There's no it's impossible to have relationship if you don't make time for the relationship. It needs to be fed and watered and fertilized and that takes time, you know. 
Wonderful. So let's kick off with the, the topic of committing to change and what that means. All right, so it, it's possible I'm speaking to people who already have quite harmonious relationships and they're saying, yeah, well, I'm interested in how much further can we go. There could be people I'm talking to who want a relationship, who are tired of being by themselves every night or being on their own with the children on the weekends and they were looking for someone to share their life with. Or it, it, it could be people who are in a relationship but it's fraught. So um, I'm including all of those uh, those scenarios. When I say that to begin with, we need to make a commitment to changing what we've got. So if we're in a decent relationship, then we want to say that we can take this relationship to higher levels of joy, stillness, intimacy, and playfulness, so that we are we're striving for something bigger, deeper than that which we already have. And if we are looking for a relationship, then we're committing to that kind of a relationship. We're not committing to finding somebody who likes me and then I'll be whatever they want, which we call codependent relationship, which is really not healthy and not taking us into higher realms of um, who we really are and evolution. So that's the first thing I would address is that get an agreement between you, even if it's your colleagues at work, to say, let's take our relationships to higher realms. Who would like to do that? And there may be some that don't, and then they're not, pr they're not pressured. It's only up for those that want to go to, um, to more intimate levels or a deeper level of friendship or support or appreciation. And then the second thing to look at here is to be clear on the purpose of the relationship. So some relationships are about friendship and some are about co-working or joint projects and some are about romantic love and, and, and um, becoming a, you know, your one true love, a coupledom. And um, inside of that relationship, uh, that's not the purpose of the relationship, is the friendship. Really, you know, people say, oh, we're in pursuit of happiness. This is a big Dalai Lama. People say, oh, yeah, I want to be happy. But actually, happy is pretty much um, ordinary these days. And it's fleeting, you know. There's a big football match this weekend with the semifinals, and the people whose team win will be happy. But next week when their team loses, you know, they won't be so happy. So we're not really that crash hot on happiness here. We're looking more for joy for a deep felt sense in the body of joy, of joyfulness. And that's, that is, you know, we, we say that happiness is fleeting and joy is eternal. And so what we want in our relationships is to build the level of joy that we have in ourselves and in the way we relate to the people around us. So if we say the purpose is to bring more joy into the relationships, how do we achieve that? Then that's quite a good... Um, a good uh, marker of, of, of where we go. And so, Jean, sorry to interrupt you, but we have a, a question from a single parent who, um, in terms of being clear on the purpose of relationships, you know, has made the comment that sometimes there's mixed purposes. So, you know, when you are a single parent of children, you're both the rule maker and the enforcer. And so, you know, to have an underpinning a goal, I suppose, or purpose of bringing in more joy and yet having to also be the guide 
uh, and the person who you know teaches and disciplines you know where do you bring joy into the context of discipline in that con in that scenario well without trying to sound pie in the sky I would hazard a guess that where there is joy in the relationship enforcing the rules is a lot easier So if the person, if, if, this, if my listener there is saying that I'm, I'm so busy enforcing the rules and being the, 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 the model that I don't have time for joy, then I would suggest we need a reprioritizing of what the relationship is about. And I've raised teenagers, so I do know that it's not a cakewalk, but um, it's certainly if you're focused and agreed on, on going to a place of more joy, of, of deeper levels of appreciation and you both agree to that then enforcing the rules gets easier because it's part of the agreement that we've made it's not like I'm always on your case telling you what to do it's that this, this is it yeah this parents are talking about young children under the age of five where an agreement can be more difficult to achieve <laughs> um, you know than as the kids get a bit older but I hear what you're saying is you know, come from a place of joy and have joy as the goal, uh, and you know, That's ultimately more on board. Yeah, sorry. Those children will be, the children will be more on board when it's joyful than when it's when it's grumpy and rule enforced. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then the last um, thing about this. Uh, this concept that I'm introducing is that in order to do all this we have to be connected to ourselves and people might ask well what does that mean? Being connected to yourself means that you are tracking the sensations in your body you have a level of awareness that tells you what you are feeling and whether you're in reaction or whether you're responding to the situation around you and when you're busy and you've got small children and they don't listen to you or even teenage children who are particularly not good at listening to you it's quite difficult to stay uh, connected to yourself and level and observing your reactions and not giving in to them and acting out of them turning into a screaming banshee or a critical mother or father so it's that level of awareness that we are striving for that actually um, can take us to this new level of relationship. So the work is involved in connecting to yourself. Before you are connected to yourself, the level that you connect to others is always superficial. If you do not have an ongoing working on level of connecting to yourself, and when we get to that place, we'll um, we'll talk more about that. One of the I've been in this business for a long time in the field of personal development and um, self-awareness and I've done a lot of things including walking on hot coals in a moment of madness uh, but at the, at the time now in my dotage in my 60th decade um, the most satisfying and effective way that I've found of connecting to myself and for my clients and customers to connect is through a process called esoteric yoga and you can find this on the web there are quite a lot of people offering it now there's trainings in it and it's different from other yogas because it's the yoga of connection you don't move very much you lie still on the floor and you think about your left leg and you hang out with your left leg and after a while you compare your left leg with your right leg and you're gobsmacked at the difference 
because the cells in your left leg have felt your level of connection. They felt you being with them and responding to them. And it changes the relationship, it changes the chemistry in the body when we attend. Because every cell has a small brain called a nucleus. And these nuclei can register when they are being attended to and when they're being ignored. And just like all human tissue, if you think of babies, they love to have attention. They're geared to get our attention with their big eyes and their cuteness. And so when we attend to ourselves at a deeper level, we engender a, a sense of joy and satisfaction in every cell in our body. And that then spreads throughout the body. And when we abandon ourselves to the busyness of life, to the mouse wheel, to getting things done, to ticking the boxes, the cells recognize that they're not being attended to and they're miserable and therefore so are we. Mm. And so in that, in that context, we've had a question saying how do you initiate the conversation with your partner if all you ever talk about are your kids on this topic of connecting to yourself. Do you, I mean, would you say... Take you know if the conversation with your partner is all about the kids, then it, it's potentially the case that you are also all about the kids, and then you would recommend taking some time and focusing and prioritizing connecting with yourself, and from there you'll go to connecting with your partner. Is that is that probably something that yes. might make sense? Yes. Yes, and you can you can do this together if you're willing partners. You can say let's let's launch into a program of connecting with ourselves and each other and not always making it about the children. So if your partner only wants to talk about the children, then it's communication. Whenever I want to get closer to you, you talk about the children. What's actually going on here is you're using the children, possibly, to push me away. And what is the fear of going into a more, a, a more intimate, a deeper connection? Because we will pull in whatever we can to avoid that deeper intimacy because it's unknown territory, it's uncharted. So quite often the unconscious plays out and we hold a person at bay with a particular topic like the children in order to avoid going deeper together. So the, how you do that is you pick your moment. You don't find the moment when your partner's just walked in from work after a busy day and has to get changed in order to make the gym on time or the cat's just thrown up or the baby's screaming. That's not a good time to discuss how we can work at a more deeper intimate relationship. A better time is when the kids are in bed, when you've got some time together and you say, let's prioritize a time to talk about this. I heard about this on a webinar today and I want to practice it, I want to play with it. Come and I want to tell you what, I, what, my, what my plans are. And you make a time. You say, it's not now. Bring your diary and we're going to make a time to actually talk about this. And you treat that as if it were a business meeting that you've put in your diary or a doctor's appointment. It's not our oh, just, yeah, we've said we'd talk, but there's no time now, so we fob it off. You have to commit. The word at the top of the slide is committing. And there is a level of commitment that's required to make this work. There's no magic wand. Beautiful. Um, another question on the topic of connecting to self is just uh, someone said, I'm very hard on myself. Do you have a number one tip on how to be kinder to myself? Yeah, I used to be very hard on myself as well, and I still can, when I'm stressed, fall into that, that habit. And it's a matter, again, of the awareness that I talked about and clocking when that voice comes in. Oh, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Or, oh, my God, I forgot that. I always forget those appointments. And you catch the self-talk. 
you become aware enough to catch the self-talk and then you say, I refuse to allow you to talk to me like that. It's a beginning, a process of self-appreciation where you start to ditch those hard, harsh voices. Think of the cells. Every time you recriminate or you're down on yourself, all the little cells' faces turn into downward-turned mouths. And when you're appreciative and loving of yourself, all the little cells' faces are smiling and they're jumping up and down and happy. So it's to take responsibility for stopping that momentum of critical self-talk. I love that. I, I like the, you know, the, I mean, it all starts with self-awareness, doesn't it? And then moves into, as you said, self-appreciation as opposed to, um, you know, being hard on yourself. But it comes back to being connected to yourself. So the person that asked that question actually already begins with self-awareness because they are aware that they're hard on themselves. So now it's about catching yeah. that self-talk, as you said. Yeah, thank you. Okay, next, next topic, stopping the momentum. The thing I wanted to say here was about stopping the momentum. So lives are busy and sometimes we're not even aware of the fact that we're on this mouse wheel just trundling along, next, 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 next. So we have to stop and take stock of what we're doing. And that again requires a discipline. It could be through that process of esoteric yoga where you have to take an hour out of your life and lie on the floor and feel how you are today. Or it could be a short meditation, and there's lots and lots of meditations on the on the website. Um, in, in particular, there's a website called Unimed Living, which offers a variety of uh, free meditations where it's just a stop. You don't have to sit cross-legged with your fingers in a special mudra and hum on top of a mountain. This is designed for people who are in life and who are busy. And it's just a matter of checking in with yourself. Where am I at and what is the quality of my life? Where am I living in the moment? And so that's the momentum is to stop. And then you can, from there, you'll speed up again. And we all do. And then you go, ah, oh, I've speeded up. Once we know the difference between a speeded up momentum and a momentum that's more still, we can start to choose. But when we have no awareness, we don't even know we're on the mouse wheel. So it's a matter of building the awareness again. And we can, we can move on to the next one. I do have a question though before we do. Some, somebody has asked, um, you know, c carrying on from the last slide but also in this one, if, if both people in a relationship do commit to change, you know, is, is a, a, and you know, they've stopped and they've taken stock of where they're at and it doesn't feel like it's a good place, is a relationship in your experience and from what you've seen ever too far gone to enjoy, to, to find that joy again? Look, I can't say the answer to that because I have worked with couples who have got separated and I've worked with couples who've come from a place of deep sort of loathing and they're very respectful and loving now. So it depends on the couple. It, it can't, no one can make a call for any other persons. But if both of you can, are, are prepared to commit to change, then you're, you're ahead of the eight ball. Mm. And we'll come a little further down the track when we talk at the next slide about how we can arrange to stop shooting each other in the foot and how we can arrange to keep moving to, does this serve our purpose? No? Okay, then we're not going to do it anymore. Mm. So you start to cut the energy of the criticism and the blaming and the who shot joining and rather f focus on where do we want to go in our relationship. 
in my own relationship, my husband and I, we did two and a half years of couples therapy. Oh, I think about 10 years ago, maybe more. And it transformed our relationship. We're now more loving, more tender, more appreciative and kinder to each other and ourselves than we were before. And, uh, and we were quite far gone to think, well, do we really want to pursue this? Is it worth it? We're not having a lot of fun. Mm. So I'm quite a positive uh, proponent of, yes, change is possible. Mm. And, and it's about keeping an open mind on the possibilities, particularly, yeah. as, as you said, when both are committed to that change. Yeah, that's okay. great. Okay. And, you know, there's sort of this, this um, knowing what we need, the next slide here, is an important concept because a lot of us are second-guessing what we think the other one wants and trying to be that. And this is a recipe for disaster because resentment builds in. Because I'm pretzeling myself to become what I think you want and you aren't even noticing. So then I get very resentful because you don't even notice all these lovely things I'm doing for you. But actually you don't even really need them. I think you need them because I need them. So we project what we want onto our friends and then we give them that. And then when they don't notice, we get a bit fed up and resentful. And I can tell you love cannot grow in a garden where the weeds of resentment are stifling the plant. So it's really important that we can feel what's needed for us and then we start to give ourselves what we need. When we do that, we give our partner or our friends permission for them also to give them what they need. The number of people I see in my practice who say, oh, I've committed to going out tonight and I'm so tired, I really don't want to go, but I can't let them down. Well, if they rang you up and said, look, I know we made an arrangement, but I'm exhausted, so I'm not going to break my word and I can't make it tonight. Then next time they're feeling like that, they ring you up and say, look, I can't make it, I'm exhausted, I don't want to come anymore. So not a good idea of the time, but I don't want to play. We start, when we start to be real, we give everybody else permission to be real and we break this facade of pretending that we have to keep our word or we, we have to be as they want us to be. And it's the same in an intimate relationship. When one of you starts saying, oh, no, I don't like that, then the other one feels, oh, well, if you can say that, then so can I. And it may get a bit rocky to begin with, but it gets real. Rocky and real is much better than superficial and fake. So when we connect and we know what we want and then we can ask for this and we're prepared to allow the other person to know what they want and, and to ask for it, we're cooking, we're on the road to building a better relationship. So we begin to ditch the martyrdom and the sacrificial parenting and we say, I can't pick you up, I can't drive you to sport, I'm too tired, I'm busy, you'll have to catch a bus or you'll have to go with a friend if there's no transport. So we start to do things where we're not the martyr. We matter. We count. And when we model to our families and our friends that we matter, we give them the modeling that they also matter and they learn to say no. But if all they've ever heard is, yes, okay, all right, I can cancel my appointment to have my hair done and I will drive you or I will stay up until 2 in the morning to pick you up. No, you can come home at midnight because 2 is too late for me. So it's, it's that kind of um, ditching the martyrdom and having what you want and giving others the permission to have it. And I must add, you won't always get what you want. But at least knowing what it is and asking for it is a hell of a lot more real 
than not than pretending you have no needs and getting right. resentful because the other person doesn't deliver what you're hoping they can telepathically know you want. <laughs> that telepathy is a common thing. You know, a lot of the um, a lot of the people that we speak to in our coaching work through parents at work are, uh, you know, just transitioning back to work after having had babies and fall into a pattern of kind of doing it all. I suppose they do everything at home and they do everything at work and try and meet the needs of of everyone and sort of go well. You know, I guess I'll just have to do it because that's the pattern um, and they're in that very early baby stage and, it, and it's you know it's about like you said previously taking stock of where you're at and actually reevaluating, you know ditching that martyrdom and thinking well actually no I do need to ask for help and reevaluating, you know where things are at in the partnership um, in terms of parenting. Yeah and I think we're raised Kerry in a climate where um, asking for help is like weakness or um, you've got to cope, you know, and it's mm. so it's so non-community because when you do ask for help you get so many people willing to help you and you can then feel you can help them in response and it builds community, whereas doing it all by myself is very three-year-old as we know. I want to tie my shoelaces all by myself even though I can't, but we could hopefully learn that we don't have to do it all by myself by the time we're adult. Mm. And like you said at the start, I think it can, you know, it can start out where you're just in in the habit of it, but slowly those those seeds of resentment start to build, and over time they grow into weeds, and then they grow into plants, and you can find yourself in a, you know, quite a resentful place if it's not addressed, you know, early on. I suppose when you recognise that that kind of martyrdom has taken over, and you just do it all and feel yeah. resentment about that. Mm. And, you know, there's a common saying that women have an, have an issue with self-loathing. Nearly every woman I know admits secretly to self-loathing, except for the ones that are hiding their self-loathing under a fake front of, no, I'm absolutely awesome. Um, and men, men fear rejection. So when this plays out in a couple, is that I will do anything to avoid my self-loathing. So I'll make you love me, and then I feel better. And then... That's kind of not so productive because when you forget to love me or you're busy or you're preoccupied, I feel terrible because you're not feeding me that, 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 that I need in order to combat my self-loathing. And then you keep feeding me that if you're the male because you fear rejection. And so if you don't keep feeding me, I'll get upset and not like you and then I might reject you. And so we have this relationship based on my need for you to love me so I don't feel myself loathing and your need to fulfill that so that I don't reject you. And it's so fake and it's so exhausting that it isn't what we call the grounds of real relationship. And I often work with couples to put that out on the table that the woman needs to learn to love herself and appreciate herself and not look for that from outside. And the man needs to accept that if he doesn't do as she wants and he gets rejected, he will survive. He will not die. And when you make your agreement up front, you agree not to storm off in a huff. You agree to process things at a time that's even if you have to re-diarize because we haven't resolved this, we'll keep talking next Saturday afternoon and we'll make time for it then. And then you, you go back to it. You don't ever sort of... You, you agree not to storm off in a huff because that is not productive. You also agree not to yell at each other because that's counterproductive. So there's certain rules of engagement that you make 
stonewalling is not good and neither is removing yourself unless you're getting so angry that you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else then you say I have to stop this it's I'm getting out of control but you don't use it as a weapon to leave um, I just have a question that, that asks about you know what happens if neither of you are willing to compromise um, I, didn't, I would query why what is underneath that? Who's frightened of going deeper? Who's frightened of what it might mean to be a couple that really loves and appreciates each other and be envied by all the other couples in the school? Uh, because if neither of you is prepared, I mean it could be on a particular issue like um, whether the kids need to do their homework or not. So I think homework's a crock and I've, I, didn't, I grew up doing none and I'm fine and you think homework's absolutely important and if they don't do their homework it's a it's a fatal thing. So we have to, we can agree to disagree. So a lot of what happens in coupledom and even in friendships is that I can't rest until you agree with my viewpoint. And so I think it's blue or I think homework's important and uh, you, until you say, yes, Jean, homework's important, we can't rest. So I always bring in here this concept that there are two realities. There's my reality and there's your reality. And if we have children, there's their realities and even the reality of the cat and the dog and the hamster. So it's important that I can say, okay, your reality is that homework's not important, but mine is that it is important. So when the kids are with me, they do their homework. When they're with you, that's their business. So we have to really respect the viewpoint and the territory of the other person and not say, when you're more like me, then we can be harmonious. Because both of you are saying when you're more like me, then you've got already a separation in there. When we come into a friendship or a relationship, we bring all the patterns of our family of origin. So we are not going to be like each other. And my experience is that the universe attracts opposites. So we do get always these dilemmas in the relationships because we come from poles apart of family values. And that's to give the offspring the best chance of a middle road. So we have to allow the input of the other to be there in the relationship. It's constellated that way for the benefit of the progeny of the of the children. Beautiful. Thank you. Next topic. Express yourself. Yeah. So this also means listen to the other person expressing themselves because I have encouraged one party to express and they then monopolize the next two hours for what they want. So it's not it's a dialogue. Uh, if I tell you that I want this, how does that feel for you? So it's opening the dialogue in, in a way that you are expressing but opening a dialogue. And the first of that is to assess what's really important. So for children, you know, it's important that they don't run on the road when there's a rib coming towards us. Uh, it's important that they um, are happy. It's important that they um, function. And some things aren't so important, and yet we can get bogged down in perfectionism as parents. What will other parents think if our child goes to school in their pyjamas? They'll probably think, wow, I wish I had the guts to send my kid in her pyjamas. So if they won't get ready for school or kindy or or, or whatever it is, you just say to them, that's fine, sweetie, you can go in your pyjamas. And the only person who really cares is you. 
So if there's a thing like power struggle going on around that, get to what's important. Running in the road in front of the traffic, not a good idea. Playing with a neighbor's Doberman, Rottweiler, also maybe not so wise. But you know, there are other things that don't really matter, except that I'm a bit uptight, haven't connected deeply with myself, and are on this mouse wheel of thinking it matters. So I'm sorry if I sound a bit judgmental here, but I do see this a lot. And having been through the stage of having young children and thinking that things really matter, and now having a 31-year-old and a 28-year-old and realizing that none of that really did matter, I can give you that wisdom of an old lady that a lot of what we worry about doesn't matter. And the other thing is attending versus doing. Um, you know, people in relationship need to be attended to. So it's not so much about what I need you to do, it's me being there with you, being present to you, attending to you, what you're saying, hearing you. So often when we're busy, we will, we will listen to the other party while we're on doing our emails or we're, we're um, chopping up the food. Or, so I'm not saying you do everything, but it's not really easy to answer your emails and listen to your partner. So it's, it's the quality again, the quality that we bring to the relationship where we are attending and we are listening. And if we have a partner who needs to talk at length about his work or her work and it's boring as anything, then we have to say, we have to have, what are my needs? I've heard enough now. I need to go and run the bath or get the children ready. So you say, it's interesting what you're telling me, but I can't listen anymore because I now have conflicting goals. So I'm going to not attend you anymore. Rather than pretend to be listening when you're not, which leads to the resentment again. So that we're building on truth, being truthful with what I can and can't manage and not pretending I can manage everything and then giving it a half a lick when it needs a whole. Do you think these principles can apply equally in the workplace, so in the relationship of a manager and a person, a subordinate reporting into a manager? Um, you know, if, if you do not trust your manager, how do you, you know, approach this commitment to change and express yourself and, and assess, you know, what's important to yourself, but also get that message across to a manager that, that the trust has been lost with? Yep, so that's the communication again. It's having, having, the, having the, the connection with yourself and the awareness to know what's going on and then bringing it, having the courage to bring it into relationship. So you ask the boss for a deep and meaningful, you book a time, you don't catch them on the way past the photocopier, and you say, I'd really love to talk to you. And then you say, you know, it's occurred to me that I've lost trust and I would love to rebuild it. But in order to have that, we need to come to an agreement that that's what's going on. And what are my chances of getting this happening? So you, you front up as all of who you are. Life's about evolving, becoming more not capping ourselves and limiting ourselves. And I know you need the money for the job, but you'd be surprised when you approach it in absolute sincerity and truth. You often get heard in a way that you don't if you do it in a sort of petulant or negative way. It's mm -hmm. truthful sincerity where you can say, this is what I think is going on. You know, I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, and quite often my clients give me information that I am not doing a very good job or they like it, would like it done differently. And I feel the reaction in me, and then I open 
my heart and I say to them, okay, tell me more about this. What was it exactly that I did and what did you feel when I did it? And I learned so much when I can open to that rather than say, oh yes, well, I'm the expert, I'm the psychotherapist, you're paying and I know best. And I don't think a lot of bosses have that attitude either unless you're unlucky enough to be working with someone like that. And then maybe you have a good look on SEEK. <laughs> hmm. But give it a good try first, you know. A good as you try say. first. And maybe if you've tried and failed, then you're too sexy for that game. Yeah, yeah. And then be prepared to listen to the other's viewpoint. So even with the boss, they may say, yes, what you're saying, that um, I'm on your case the whole time, but you, you've, you've been in late to work now nine days out of ten. And, you know, it's not a good, if I don't call you up, then what about the others? And, you know, you've got to see it from the other person's perspective as well as expressing your needs. Be prepared to hear theirs. Because often we don't see what our part in it, and I can put my hand up for that when I was in couples therapy, and, and my husband would say what it was that he'd seen me doing, and I had absolutely no idea that I was behaving like that. All I could see was how he was being such a, um, a negative um, force, or picky, or critical, and, I, and when I heard him saying what was going on for him, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And if you're really stuck, then going to a couples therapist is a very good idea because that third party, that witness in the room, forces you to hear each other in a way that you can't hear each other when you're at home together or in the, having a, a mediator in the workplace. If, you can't, if there's a relationship there that's really stuck, get mediation because the third brings in a whole different energetic quality to the discussion, to the communication. Absolutely, and, and it helps to, uh, to to encourage that deeper connection and the deeper intimacy that you were talking about. You know, take, getting off the, the, the daily sort of functions that we all go through, but talk about what's really going on, you know, behind the scenes, as you say. Yeah. And in, I just had a thought in response to the person who asked the question, what if neither of you is prepared to compromise? Mm. Then, um, when you both know where the goal is, what do I really want out of, I want a harmonious, joyful, intimate relationship. Um, then does holding to my guns here and not compromising, is that more important or is the where we're headed more important? And you do a stock take, you, you assess it and you say actually I could surrender here in order to get on that road more, with more clarity. And so it's not that you're giving your power away, it's that you are choosing consciously to surrender to what's more important to them because you can see how that would take you more towards that goal of joy and intimacy and a deeper, more satisfying relationship than sticking to your guns on the issue of who takes out the bins or how much money you spend. So, you know, it's kind of... Um, Look, look when, you, when neither of you is prepared to compromise, look into the higher goal and ask yourself, could I surrender here? In other words, you lose the battle but you win the war. Mm. Beautiful. And here we, we come a little bit now to this next slide of priorities. How are we going for time, Kiri? Are we on? We're, are we we're on doing time? well actually. We have just over 15 minutes left and 
Um, and the questions are coming in nicely, so we'll just keep going as we are. Thanks, Jane. Yeah. And the slides, are we, are we nearing, are we sort of three quarters of the way through? We, this is the last slide that we've got, so you've got some time. Oh, that's fabulous. That's great. All right. So in terms of your, your priorities here, of course, the first priority is to make the agreement, is to say, I think it could be better enough. What do you think? And he says, hell yeah. And then we say, okay, if that's what we both want, then we're going to make that the umbrella under which we are living. And so every time there's stuff going on, you both look up to the umbrella or one of you points to the umbrella and you go, is this serving our new brolly? And the answer is no. Cut the energy. Ditch the argument. So it's not about who's winning. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about are we going towards what we both want or is this in the way? And if it's in the way, you just open the trap door and drop it through. It's a huge relief to do that. So that's the first priority. Um, I'm getting an echo here. Is it someone need to mute? Yeah, I'm, hear I'm hearing that as well, but I haven't heard that before. So keep talking and let's see if it continues. And sometimes if someone mutes, it goes away. Anyway, I'll keep talking. Anyway, I'll keep talking. If the first priority is to make that arrangement that you're going to a higher level, then you prioritize time with each other. Book it into your diary. Make it important. I need to spend time with my friends, with my partner, with my children. Kids really need time. That was that thing where we say not doing but being with each other. So that you, 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 your time becomes space and you make space for being together. And if other things don't get attended to, again, look at your priorities. What's important here? The other thing we have to learn to do is appreciating self and other. So. It's impossible to love someone else unless you love yourself. And it's impossible to appreciate someone else unless you are capable of appreciating yourself. It begins at home with you. So you build in self-talk around, wow, I'm smart, I did that. Or how good am I? I got up early this morning, did all the washing, and now I can go to work and it's all done. I didn't sleep in. I appreciate the fact that I got out of bed and did what was necessary. And I appreciate that I went to bed early last night so that I could get up and feel good about myself this morning and get a few things done before the working day set in. So personally, I go to bed around about 9 o'clock every night and I get up at 4. And I don't see a lot of people between 4 and 6 always. I do sometimes because I have overseas clients on Skype. But in that time in the morning, I can do bone broth, I can do a lot of housework, I can do a lot of note-taking and filing, and then I'm set up for the day because I have, I have valued myself enough to make myself, to make it more important that I set it up how I want it rather than I get an extra hour's kip. And because I'm living lovingly, I don't need that extra hour. I'm refreshed when I wake because I went to bed early. So you begin to appreciate yourself and to live in a way that fosters appreciation of you. And then that automatically, when your cup is full, I promise you it flows out over onto the others. And when your cup is half empty or empty, you cannot pour from it. 
And that's really pretty much um, all I've got to say. Um, yeah. That's wonderful. I guess this is an opportunity if anyone had any last questions. We do have you know about 10 minutes if you'd like to ask any questions of Jean while we have her on the line. Um, I'll just give it a couple of minutes. Somebody mentioned earlier that they actually did that pyjama thing with their with their son today and guess what? He changed, <laughs> which I love. Um, you know, the, the threat is sometimes, you know, enough reality for the message to get through, but it doesn't sound like he actually got to his school in his pyjamas. <laughs> but well done to you for doing that's that. That's you said it's fine to go in your pyjamas, you know, because we worry yeah. so much about what people think. And everyone's in the same boat. Everyone knows what it's like raising a family and what it's like to have kids. So if they were in front in their pyjamas, then you, people will know, oh, well, you didn't want to get dressed this morning and your mum didn't fuss about it. How cool is that? Yeah, it, and I, I agree with you in that the only judgment that's happening in that situation is probably us of ourselves. I know that if I saw another kid in PJs at daycare, I would be applauding that parent for sure. <laughs> I, know, I would have known there would have been a battle and that that kid is learning a lesson. And the judgment wouldn't come from those around but from ourselves and that comes back to the message of, of self, you know, self-kindness, self-appreciation and actually catching that self-talk and you know, removing the judgment of ourselves. And what's important, winning the battle of whether you get dressed or letting you go in your PJs. He's probably not going to walk down the aisle in his PJs. He may make a few days at work, he might go to work a few days in a row on the bus in his pyjamas, but he probably won't do that for too long either. <laughs> and somebody's asked a question that they're in some habits, you know, how do you get to the point where you break habits? So for example, um, you know, late at night, both exhausted, long day, managing, you know, young children, both working, um, and, and actually enjoy some silence, you know, once the kids are in bed and jump onto the phone, jump onto social media, play some games online, both in silence but near each other, but not talking. But you get into these habits and, um, and you know, you know, obviously these things are addictive as well. So, you know, some some advice on how you break a cycle. I mean, I guess it comes back to making commitment to that and then having a joint commitment. But what are your thoughts, Jean, on that? I, I know this one really well. And when I was doing difficult times in my, in my marriage, we had an office each in the house. And boy, did we spend a lot of time in our offices separately. So you have to, again, come together. And it's about the being, not the doing which was one of the slides. So you have to say, look, I've noticed that, you know, it's the end of the day, we're both tired and we're just chilling on our, and you're, you're playing Tetris and I'm reading something on the internet. And is this what we want? And then you prioritize time. Now, everything in life pulses. And as I'm saying this to you, I'm holding my fingertips up together and pushing my hands in and out, like a kind of um, spider doing press-ups on a mirror. And so everything pulses. So you can't say, okay, we're going to be with each other, and then you're like two of those fish with big lips and your lips are glued together and you're stuck together for the next 24 hours. You have to come together, have a quality of connection, and then pulse away. 
and then come together again with a quality of connection and then pulse away. You can't withstand, oh, we have to be connected now, and we're connecting and we're connecting and the strain is killing me, and all I want to do is reach for the telly or the, or the, or the device on which I can game. But you don't allow it to rule that we're gaming all the time or we're ignoring. Like we're snuggled up on the couch and I'm doing my I'm, I'm, my emails and you're you're playing World of Warcraft. That that's not that's not the way. And let's hang out and see what arises in that space. And it's quite freaky. You feel a little bit fruity when you do it. It's like well, there's nothing arising. Here we are hanging, and I, frankly, I'd rather be playing Tetris. But you still stay there and you feel what it's like and you gradually build a deeper and deeper tolerance for being together with no distraction. It's a whole relearning. It's the same when we connect with ourselves. It's like I don't want to lie down for half an hour and feel my feet on the floor and lift my legs up and roll my back and stretch. I, don't, I want to get on. Don't you know? There's stuff to do. But when we take the responsibility to make that connection, the yumminess that flows through the body is astounding. And it's the same when the two of you just say, okay, we're just going to hang together with no toys, no distraction, see what arises. You can have a cup of tea. This kind of work doesn't do well with uh, stimulants. So if you're wanting to be together and you've each just had a quite strong espresso, it, you feel a bit racy and buzzy. And then when you hang together, that buzzy raciness is calling for action, not just being. So you begin to choose less stimulating substances in your life so that you can have that stillness in which to connect. I don't want you all to say, like none, but it is. Yep, carry on. Somebody's asked about different communication styles. So you're talking about, I guess, resting and stillness together. What if your preferred communication styles chat things through, talk through? But then also, you're with a partner who's, um, you know, they prefer to be reflective and silent, but, but the other person really needs to vent and talk and vent openly and continuously chat. I mean, two very different communication styles in the same space, one of which is comfortable with what you've just talked about, the other not so much. Yeah, so so um, then we have to negotiate and respect each other's diversity. As what I said, there's two realities. You need to talk it through endlessly, I need some silence. So I say to you, okay, I'm not good at listening forever and ever, so I'm giving you my full attention for 20 minutes and you can tell me that story and you can get it off your chest and I'm giving you that much time for it. I don't think 20 minutes is enough. I need more time than that. Let's try. Let's see if I give you my full attention, half an hour maybe, then I'll negotiate. And you get half an hour. And after that, I want to go into my space, into my things, and just do what I need to do. And you say, okay, I'll try. And you have that half an hour. And you'd be surprised when somebody's really there and willing. You don't need to say so much. A lot of that desire to keep going is because you haven't felt heard in the first place. And respect that you are yabbering on. Have that self-awareness to know that you just said it and then said it in a different way and then said how you said it differently and then said it again. And actually it's enough already. And, and, and respect. And the other partner has the, the courage to feel that and say, look, I think you're repeating yourself. I've heard that what you're saying is la-la-la. It's wonderful to repeat back 
the message. I've got it. You're, you're concerned about Johnny's interview tomorrow and you think the teacher's bullying him and I understand. I have heard you. Then you can rest. But when the other person's so busy backpedaling that you don't feel they've heard you, you just keep on going. So part of the communication is that reflecting. Yes, I get it. This is what's troubling you. I can't fix it, but I hear that that's what's troubling you. It's enormously comforting to have somebody hear what's troubling you. Mm. And you have to respect that that's enough already for that person. They don't need to. And you're just emptying your, you're just filling up your space with words and they, and they don't want you to do that. Then maybe you need to look that that's what you do. And try being quiet after you've delivered your message and see how it feels. Hmm. A lot of this is around connecting to self and self-awareness. And somebody else has asked the question that, uh, you know, whether or not there, she said it may seem silly, there are no silly questions, but, um, you know, what's the benchmark for a good relationship? You know, she's been in a long-term relationship and doesn't know any different and sometimes feels like maybe it could be better but then doesn't, you know, doesn't really know because doesn't know any different, has always been in that same relationship, three kids, long-term marriage, and it is what it is. Is there, you know, any kind of benchmark for her? Well, I think the benchmark that occurs to me is how satisfied do you feel? What's your level of fitness? What's your weight like? Because the body is the marker of truth. And if you are living a life of satisfaction, you probably have the right BMI, your body mass index is probably on target within a couple of points, and you have a level of satisfaction in your life. If you're overweight or very underweight and you're not fit and you're you're, um, you're, and you're dissatisfied, then I would say there's a fairly high chance that your relationship needs work. It's really interesting. There you go, the physical indicating the mental. There you yep. go. Um, and so, we talk about that. Sorry, sorry, carry on. You talk, I was no, going that's probably a topic in itself, is it? I'm sure. And there's another topic that we haven't even touched on, and that's the topic of hurt. And when Kiri and I were working this out, I initially had hurts in there, because often we, we get hurt by our partner, either inadvertently or on purpose, and then we react out of that hurt place, rather than saying, I'm hurt, I, 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 feel, I feel the hurt, and I'm not going to react from that hurt, I'm going to go towards the goal of intimacy, harmony, joy, and let the hurt go through, or explore the hurts. But I'll come back another day, and we will talk at length for a whole hour on the topic of hurts and how to deal with them, and how not to react, but to respond from who you truly are, and not from that hurt place. And the other thing I want to mention just before we finished, is that if you've enjoyed what I'm talking about, I'm actually running a series of eight two-hour workshops. It's a program and it's called Developing More Satisfying Relationships. And I'm running it out of the Mossman Evening College. So it's quite inexpensive. It's $280 for 16 hours of therapy, you could call it, or learning. And normally for couples, $150 for, for an hour. So you're, you're getting a lot of value if you're interested. And a lot of this will be around how we connect, how we make boundaries, how we honor the other person's reality. So a lot of what I've talked about today will be covered in this experiential and uh, 
interactive workshop. And when you, if you book, you go straight to, it's on this screen there, www.mosmancommunitycollegenewsouthwalesedu.au. And uh, or it's on my website. If you just look at www.jeangamble.com, there's a link to the workshops. And I feel, well, the reason why I'm running these workshops is that so many people who come and see me ask the same questions. And so I went to the community centre and I said, look, I think we could help the community by running this because it's what everyone wants to know. So instead of killing one bird with one stone, I'm going to kill 12 birds with one stone. So it's limited because it's going to be quite um, interactive and I don't want too many people then, otherwise it gets unmanageable. So we, I think we've got a maximum of 12 or 14 people on this. Well, you've got one person who has said they'd love to enrol, so I'm sure they'll look at that at your website and find out more there. So we are out of time. I do want to thank everyone for you know taking the time today to to focus on yourself and also your relationships. And I hope that you've you know taken something out of today and you'll walk away with you know the intention to make some commitment to change, which is where we started. I wish everyone all the best. If you'd like more information on, on Jean, then as she mentioned, her website is listed there on the screen. And same for parents at work. If we can provide you with any support in terms of you know career management and juggling the balance between your career and family, um, and also you know for information on our, our future topics for special events, then go to our website as well. Thank you to everyone, and thank you especially to Eugene for thank you uh, for sharing your, you know, your knowledge, your principles, what you've seen in life, and what you've obviously learned through your own experience, and also through that with your clients. We really appreciate you taking the hour with us today, and thank, thank you, everyone. And thank you for the opportunity to share, and thanks to everyone who came on board to listen. Wonderful. Thank you, and we'll send out the recording after the session. Good luck to you all. Thank you.